Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today, I'm really excited to bring in someone that I think the world of, and he happens to be someone who has had unbelievable success as a basketball player and now as a a coach in the NBA. But this is the kind of person that if you never knew that and you just had a conversation with him, he's the kind of person you want to have another conversation with because he is someone who has the growth mindset personified. And so when he looks at life, uh, the challenges uh, that are part of life, whether as a player, whether as a, a leader, this is someone who has always found a way. And so I'm really happy to have uh, Coach Adrian Griffin today with us. Uh, Coach Griffin, welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Miller, thanks for having me. A uh, big fan of yours. Obviously, we go way back to my days in OKC, and uh, it's, it feels good to reconnect with you here on the show. Well, when people have talked about you, they talk about you as being someone, uh, he, this is a guy who is is brilliant. He, he, he's working on his doctorate right now, starts his dissertation here real soon. But he's also someone that is known for his character, for, his, for your resolve, for your um, grit and that resilience. That to me is a high compliment that you receive on a regular basis at the highest level. Where did you learn that sticking with it was a key to success? I think with most things, we learned a lot of our traits uh, from our parents. You know, my father was an enormous role model in my life uh, from a young age, taught me um, discipline, character, integrity. And like most kids, when you're young, you don't appreciate it until you get older and you get out of the house and you get into the real life situations. And, you know, those values that are taught years ago, they never like and I don't mean to quote the Bible, but they, they never return void, you know, um, they're powerful. And, um, you know, sometimes you don't realize it, but my dad put something in me that I, I realized, you know, when I left home and, uh, it's like a seed that grows and I, I start to see the return on it. If, if I'm, if I show a lot of character, humility, I'm doing the right thing when no one's uh, watching, I started to see the benefit of it. And I really started to buy into it the rest of, you know, especially my playing career and now my coaching career. And it's something I try to instill in, in my kids. Like I said, these, these are timeless values that we've all been raised on. And even though the generation has changed, but those principles, you know, they never change. So you grew up in Wichita. And, yes. uh, and really a surprising number of people have come out of Wichita who have done incredible things. Yes. Tell me about life, what life was like for you as a kid in Wichita? Yeah. Well, like I said, my, my, my father was a minister. He was a pastor of, uh, of our family church. It was started out very, very small with a couple of uh, family members. And, uh, you know, it really taught me how um, you have to go for your dreams. You know, my dad was working at Boeing and uh, people don't know what Boeing is. It was the, the airplane um, company. And he would work in, in the parts department and he would come home exhausted from all the heat and, and whatnot. And, uh, but he was getting paid a lot of money to go in there, but he also wanted to pastor full time. And, you know, sometimes what a family of five 
you're going to have to do things outside of pastoring to kind of make ends meet. But he had a dream that he was going to uh, pastor full time and grow the church. And he left his job and a lot of people thought he was crazy. And uh, before he passed away, our, our congregation was growing. We were moving into a bigger building. But I always remember that um, experience. And it allowed me, a young kid from Wichita, to leave home and go um, to the East Coast, play in the Big East, the original Big East at the time, Seton Hall, Syracuse, uh, Georgetown, Villanova. And a lot of people ask me, why did I leave? Why did I go so far from home? And my answer to them is, I felt prepared. I felt that everything that my dad taught me and everything that I went through and all the support that I, that I have uh, received from Wichita and from the teachers to the community, I never thought that I wasn't uh, prepared. And so when people used to ask me that question, used to catch me off guard because my dad had put that fire, the, you know, the mental toughness, the faith, the belief that all things are possible. So he, he really left a, a humongous mark uh, on my life. What, what a tribute to him. And I'm so thankful that uh, you have that voice of him in your head uh, in those times. Now, when would you say that you started noticing that you had the, the qualities of, uh, of a leader? Because mm-hmm. people lead in all different ways, but at some point you recognize that you can open doors of opportunity for somebody else. Mm-hmm. When did you start realizing that you, you had that? I think from a very young age, because, you know, I was always a lot faster. You know, you know, I was very athletic growing up and, you know, I was always in, involved in sports. And I remember in the, the seventh grade, I was playing basketball, loved basketball. And I remember that I was just dominating the whole game. You know, I wasn't passing it. I would get the rebound and no one can stop me. And then one day this kid came up to me and he said, He's like, Adrian, do you mind if, if you know, you not score this game and just let us, uh, you know, try to score ourselves? And at first I was so dejected because I was like, man, like, you know, I had a little pity party and then I wouldn't shoot at all then. You know, I was like, yo, you don't want me to shoot? So I would, you know, I would make it a point that I wasn't even going to look at the basket. And then shortly after that, when I got home, you know, I had this epiphany that, you know, I had a lot of talent and I had a lot of power because of that. And I made up my, my mind that day that I was going to use it to benefit others. Up to that point, it was just all about me. You know, I, no one can stop me. And I was just dribbling around everybody and laying the ball up. But it wasn't fun for the other kids. And so I realized that, you know, I, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with, with that power. And it's up to you. And I, and I never wanted to feel like that, you know, ever again. So from that day forward, it really started my, I was very conscious moving forward about how I wanted to use my gifts, not just to help myself, but to help others. Well, as a, a reigning world champion coach, obviously <laughs> that uh, helped you open some doors later. How, how do you think that perspective has impacted you as a coach? Well, fortunately, I love basketball because it's a team sport and it's not one individual guy. Team sports are are tricky, man, because you got to have that team mentality, but you're dealing with individuals and then every individual has their own individual needs. And some coaches 
go to the extreme to say, uh, but the team comes first, it's team over everything. And then you forget the human side of leadership and coaching. And I think when I was growing up, it was all about the, the transactional coach. You know, he'd yell, he'd scream. If you did what he asked you to do, you were able to avoid his wrath. But if you, you, you made mistakes or, or you went against whatever he believed that you should be doing, then <laughs> he made your life a living, you know what? <laughs> but we moved into, I believe that coaches moved into that more transformational type of leadership where we're caring about the person. We're, we want the person to say, you know what? I'm going to do this because I want to, and I see the bigger picture. And to do that, you got to spend a lot of time with people now. A lot of leaders kind of avoid that. They just want to get down to the X and O's. A lot of coaches are still like that, but I think that is more outdated. It's prehistoric now. And I think people want more. They want, want you to ask them, how is your family doing? How is your mom doing? Because once you build that relationship, man, I tell you, these kids sometimes get a bad rap, but once you show them that you care, they run through the wall for you. And, and I don't know if I could play in, in today's league because we have so much from them and they are able to embrace it. They suck it all in and they're able to go out there and execute. So uh, you have to change, you know, you got to adapt. You got you to adapt with the changing times. And fortunately for me that I've, I've been able to do that. Well, when you finished at uh, Seton Hall, where you had a great career, the transition wasn't directly to the league. And if I could focus in on one time of your life that to me is in some ways the most impressive, mm-hmm. it is the growth that you had as a person, as a player after college, before the NBA. And t- tell us about that time of your life. You finished college. Yep. NBA is beyond your reach at this point, but it's close. What, what was going on? Well, you know, I, I was at home watching the draft, the 96 draft, like every other kid during that uh, season wanted to get drafted. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen for me. And I, I sat there dejected. And, you know, my dad took me for a drive and he told me that God told him that I was going to make the NBA and not to give up on my dream. You know, the words are powerful. And uh, it's funny because I, I didn't have faith in myself. At the time, I had faith in my father. And I had the faith in the words that he spoke to me. And because of that, it, it allowed me to believe. And so I ended up going to the CBA, which was the Continental Basketball Association. It's, the, it's what we call like the G League today, the minor leagues of the NBA. And it was rough. You know, it was 15, 16 bus trips. Um, you're out in Yakima, uh, Washington, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You know, you're just playing in these little gyms and you're trying to just showcase your talent. But I remember one of the assistant coaches came up to me. His name was Gerald Oliver. Loved him to death. And he had this little Southern draw all the time. And he would say, do you know why you're not in the NBA? And I, I would say, why, Gio? And he would say, because you don't move like a guard. You know, when I was coming out of college, I had the label of being a tweener. And it's ironic because now in today's game, they want tweeners, you know, because at the time I didn't move or shoot like a guard and I wasn't big and athletic enough to be a forward. So they labeled me a tweener. But that's what we want now. We want guys that can play multiple positions. But anyway, he said, you need to look like a guard 
and you need to get your butt down and your head up and start moving like the guard. And he would put me through a drill every day before practice. All the players would start laughing at me. And it was just a simple crab dribble. And you would just go down with the left, come back with the right. Nothing fancy. Every time I tried to throw in a move in there, he would craft the whip and say, just work on the basics, just the fundamentals. So I love Gio for that. But, you know, when you talk about leadership, is it more about being authentic? And a lot of people say, well, that's just who I am. You know, there was a lot of players that had the opportunity to get better in the CBA, and they always pointed the blame at somebody else. Oh, it's his fault I'm not in the NBA, and it's the coach's fault, and it was my college coach and the NBA guys. But when my coach told me that, I had a decision to make. I can listen to him, or I can put up my guard and blame somebody else. And then part of that leadership was just taking the ownership uh, of your blind spots. You know, this was the coach that said, hey, you need to change. And I was willing to listen. And for three long years, you know, before practice, after practice, I stayed an hour. I got there an hour before practice and an hour after practice for three long years. And I'm only telling you the stories because when I finally got my shot in the summer league uh, to play for the Boston Celtics, it was because I played that those three long years. And, you know, back then the money wasn't great. So you had I played in the CBA, then I had to play in the USBL, which was a step lower. And then I had to play in the ABL, which was a step step lower. And I was like, God, why am I always like playing in these little gyms? But little did I know that God was training because in those little gyms, I was the man. I was the one taking those last second shots. And it was something that I wouldn't have had the opportunity if I was on, you know, in the NBA at that time. But during that summer league and playing for the summer league, uh, Boston Celtics team, I was mentally sharp, physically sharp, spiritually sharp, and it allowed me to put myself in a position to, uh, to play nine years in the league. So you get to the league and, you know, anybody who makes it to that level is an elite athlete. And, and what an amazing uh, thing for you to be able to do. Looking back on that, you, you played for a number of teams. And you had a, it's almost like an internship where you had to, mm-hmm. the chance to learn from so many different kinds of people and places. What were some of the, who were some of the people that you would look back on now and say that they impacted how you played the game or how you thought about the game? Um, man, that's a good question. It was a, a lot, a lot of, a lot of coaches, a lot of uh, players, but I think that one player for sure was uh, Kevin Ollie. You know, Kevin, you guys said no, Kevin Ollie, he played for the University of UConn. He coached there as well and played in the league for, for over a decade. Just hard-nosed, tough point guard. And I uh, played against him in college also, but he was a year older, and he ended up going to the NBA. And then when I went into the CBA, the NBA had a lockout. So he used to come and practice with our CBA team. And this is an NBA guy just saying, hey, I'm not too good to go down there and work with you guys. And I remember it was training camp and we had this three-hour practice, man. And I was dog tired. And after the last whistle, you know, everyone just went to the sideline and I'm drenched with sweat. And I start to untie my shoes and start to put my sweats on and whatnot. And I hear a ball bouncing. 
And I look up and it's Kevin Ollie, and he proceeds to do another 45 minutes of his individual workouts, ball handling, shooting. And I looked at, and you know, I'm thinking to myself like, man, that's what it takes to be an NBA player. You know, and it really transformed and changed my life because from that day forward, I said, I thought I was working. You know, a lot of times we think we're working hard and I thought I was working hard at the time, but I wasn't. And that experience really changed me. And I began to ramp it up and it helped, you know, during the years when, when I, I knew without a doubt what it took to make it because of Kevin Ollie. So he, I tell him this story all the time and we laugh about it, you know, we're good friends, but it, it was his leadership at the time that really uh, changed my life. Well, I know your doctorate isn't done, but I'm going to start calling you Dr. Griffin now. <laughs> but I, I do hope that you will write a book at some point and just capture some of these stories because anybody listening right now can apply these ideas to where they are in life. You, you had mentioned to me once because the, uh, the, the Jordan documentary uh, came out recently and, and you played with uh, Jordan and other people, but you had mentioned Scottie Pippen had an influence on how you viewed the idea of team. Can, can you sure. talk about that? Oh, for sure. You know, growing up, I was all Michael Jordan. You know, you could ask my mom. I had his posters like most kids on my wall and I just loved, loved, loved Michael Jordan. But as I grew and I got into high school and college and whatnot, I, re- I soon realized that I couldn't fly or be like Mike, as they say. And so I turned my attention to the next best thing that I believe, and that was Scottie Pippen. You know, he uh, epitomized everything that a, a great teammate should be, unselfish, hard-nosed, competitive, um, giving it all to the team. And I just tried to mimic my game after him. Obviously, I wasn't as talented as him or as, as athletic as he was, but I tried to always play with that chip and that hunger uh, that competitiveness, and it, it really served me uh, well. You know, it's funny how life worked because in 2014, uh, I was coaching with the Chicago Bulls with Tom Thibodeau, and uh, I had to move to a different uh, neighborhood uh, to enroll my kids in a certain school. And lo and behold, I moved right down the street from Scottie Pippen. You know, and this guy is my lifelong idol, and. You know, he would come up to the gym sometime and, and uh, talk to the team. And then it got to where, hey, won't, won't you come by, you know, bring the boys down. And, and you know, he had three uh, little boys himself. And I would go there and sit on this couch and talk to him. And then back in my mind, I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm sitting in Scottie Pippen's house actually having a conversation with him. And it was just mind-blowing, even to this day, for someone who – who I tried to be like when I was actually with one of my childhood heroes. So Scotty, you know, he doesn't get enough credit as he should, but Michael Jordan, you know, if you watched the documentary last night, he said that there would be no MJ without him and that Scotty was his favorite teammate and for good reason. You know, I, I love listening to you uh, talk because the humility that you have, um, and I was taught that humility always connects people and arrogance always separates them. Right. And what I love about what you've experienced, you've experienced a level of success that um, is beyond most people's imagination. And I love that you feel sitting on Scottie Pippen's couch. He feels, you feel that way about him. I feel that way about talking to you right now 
Because the things that you do in life, to me, that represents the heart of leadership. Because what you're talking about is how do you want to live your life? And that you're not, um, you're not just going through trying to endure. You're looking for examples of people who have a part of something that you want. And so you look at how he chose to be a teammate and how this, and I love that about you. Looking at leaders who are listening to this, those emerging leaders specifically, what advice would you give to them about what they need to focus on to be impactful leaders? I think number one is just uh, having a sense of humility. You know, it's, it's always served me, served me right. You know, a lot of people think that I'm, I'm soft-spoken and a really nice guy, but I've, I've always been ultra-competitive. I've always had that underdog mentality that I wanted to compete at the highest level. But at the same time, I knew that I needed to have a sense of humility to get there. And what I mean by humility doesn't mean to be a, a pushover. You know, the way that it was explained to me, and I always try to live by this creed, like, is that humility opens the door for the next level. Mm. You know, I remember when it was 2008, and it was my, it ended up being my last year in the, in the NBA. But at the same time, I felt like I could still contribute. Like most veterans on the team, you, you want to play, you want to get out there, but they were playing all the younger guys. And, you know, I, it didn't fare well with me, but I knew I needed to keep a good attitude. And so what I did was before and after practice, I would pull the rookies aside. And we had some really good rookies, you know, Ben Gordon, Luol Deng, Andres Nocioni, Kurt Pyron. I mean, these guys are great. But I, I had the years on them. So instead of getting bitter and frustrated, you know, I would pull them aside and just try to help them, you know, and just kind of share some of my knowledge that I accumulated over my playing career. And uh, one day, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, his name was Scott Skiles, he saw me and he came up to me and he said, hey, I've been watching you and I really appreciate what you've been doing with the players. And uh, he said, after you retire one day, I got a job for you. And long story short, I got traded from the Bulls to OKC, actually Seattle. Seattle moved to OKC, and then I got traded to Milwaukee Bucks. And lo and behold, Scott Skiles, who was coaching with Chicago, got released, and then he took the Milwaukee Bucks job. And so I went through training camp. It, it was going to be my 10th year in the NBA. And I went through all the training camp, and I felt like, man, I'm about to make the team. It's going to be 10 years. It's going to be awesome. And so we bust from Milwaukee to Chicago because Chicago is going to be our season opener. So I'm in a hotel room in Chicago and the cutoff time was 3 p.m. And my hotel phone rang at 2.59. So I tell you guys how old I am. It's a hotel phone. <laughs> and uh, it was Scott Scouse. And he said, hey, I got some bad news. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we got to let you go. But. I have some good news, depending on how you see it. I'm going to offer a position on my staff. And he said, take a couple of weeks, think about it. And man, I took like two days and I called him back and I said, I'm in coach. And it turned out to be one of the best decisions I made. And it, it all started back then, you know, working with those young guys, uh, humbling myself, you know. And, and uh, again, those are the lessons that I've learned from my father and my mother. But I think as a leader, you know, you got to work on yourself first. You know, that's kind of the first rule of leadership. How can I get better? Because when you get better, 
your people and your followers going to get better. But it takes some humility to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not as great as I thought I was. You know, what are some areas that I got to improve in? What areas do I need to get better in? And that that means that you're going to have to listen. You know, you're going to have to listen to some people and, and sometimes the truth stings a little bit, but it, it makes us uh, better people and, and ultimately better leaders. Again, I appreciate your time today. It's been an, an incredible conversation. You know, when I think about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, mm-hmm. uh, the work from Dr. Carol Dweck over at Stanford, she notes that the fixed mindset people, they, they only focus really on what they do easily, what comes to them uh, easily. And so they tend to plateau early and, and then they uh, can't keep up. And then you see other people who have the growth mindset. They don't plateau. They might not get there as fast, but then they pass by other people and keep on growing. And when I think about you, I think about somebody with a growth mindset. And I don't know what's in the future for you. I don't think you have to be a head coach or something to be able to um, feel as if you've been a successful person. You've obviously been unbelievably successful. But I would say this, the way that you look at learning to me, as someone who focuses on leadership every day, the way that you look at learning, the, 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 a team that if they wanted you to be in that role, not only uh, would that be a great hire, what I think you would find is that the person that you are unlocks the opportunity for other people because when you are being led by someone who does not plateau, then it opens those doors for you as well. So wrap, wrapping up our time, I just want to say that because I look at you as someone who um, <laughs> there's going to be a day if that's what you choose to do where that door opens and we're, I'm just going to love watching what happens to you because um, anybody who understands leadership understands what you're about and, and how the best years of your career are ahead of you if that's what you choose to do. And so I'm excited for you. So wrapping up, what is one area that you want to grow in as a leader that you're focusing on right now? My, well, my ultimate goal is to be a head coach in the NBA. And I think for me, that, that's going to uh, take me getting out of my shell a little bit more, uh, getting out of my comfort zone and expanding myself. You know, I've always been very reserved and I've always uh, kind of kept to myself. But, you know, being a leader now, you got you got to get out of your cocoon a little bit. You got to walk the offices and uh, you got to. Uh, start these conversations of ignite these conversations and talk to the players and really get to know them. And that, that's, that was something that was a little uh, different for me. Uh, and I think the last few years I've, I've made a conscious effort of really being um, asserting myself in, in that point. Like I said, I've always been very, very uh, uh, introvert, so to speak, but leadership is about people. And so I've been challenged myself to text a little bit more, ask a little more questions, get on the phone call, FaceTime with players, and uh, kind of build those bridges. But that can be learned. I've, I've all, one thing I've always told my players, because player development is just a huge facet in anything, but especially in sports, um, where you are today is just a snapshot. You know, just a snapshot where you are. Tomorrow, you're going to be totally different or slightly different, but you will be different if you continue to work and improve um, you're going to be different tomorrow than where you are today. And I try to take that same approach, you know, just inching a, a little bit closer to where I, I want to be. I'm not where I want to be right now, 
but I, I'm definitely better um, off than wh- where I was yesterday. Well, to, to watch your growth as a person is phenomenal. And to see someone that sets their own pace faster than other people probably would have known. If I look at you, I, I see your capacity. I see your passion. And I, I, I can't wait for that uh, phone call to uh, come along when that head uh, coach job is, is offered to you. And uh, we'll say we knew you when. So, Coach, uh, thank you so much for your time. You are an inspiration to so many people. And uh, the quiet leader is often underestimated, but that yeah. quiet leader is often the, the one that is performing at the highest level. And so uh, we, we loved you then, and we're going to love you in the future yeah. and look forward to great things. Thank you for being a part of the, the Strata Leadership Show. If you'd like to learn more about Strata Leadership, check us out at strataleadership.com. Our goal is to bring people together, leaders together, to have important conversations about things that matter. Today, set the pace. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.